All right, please stand or remain standing for the word of the Lord. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask as we come to your word now that you would open our eyes, open our ears, give us ears and hearts and eyes that see, hear, and listen, receive, that you would do what we cannot do, which is to um, bring faith into our hearts to believe you, to follow you with, with our whole lives. So I pray now that you would do it with uh, your words, with your word through Christ and with the words that I have prepared here that you would do in us a work. Now we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So most of you know that we moved into a new house uh, in June, I guess it was. And if you've ever moved, you know that one thing, one thing that you learn when you move is how much stuff you have, right? You ever moved? You realize how much stuff you have, right, Eudora? 
so much stuff. And so we moved to this house, and it, my old house had one tree on the lot. If you've been to my house now, you know that we have a few more than one tree. We have many, many trees. And so I thought to myself, well, there's trees. I need to buy a leaf blower. So I went and I bought a leaf blower. And after I bought my leaf blower, I said, well, now I need ear protection. So I bought ear protection. Now I need gasoline. So I bought gasoline. And I thought, you know, at some point I'm going to need to store this leaf blower somewhere. So I went and I thought about, I haven't done this yet, but I thought I'm going to have to buy a shed, build a shed. If I'm going to build a shed, I'm going to need some more tools to build that shed. And then I'm going to have a whole shed full of space that I need to buy more things to put into the shed. And all those things are going to have things that they need to be maintained and utilized for. And it's a little like the book I read to my kids, which is if you give a mouse a cookie, right? (laughs) Stuff begets stuff, right? The more you have, the more you need, the more you need, the more you want, on, on, and on, and on, and we, as a people, know stuff. We all have stuff. Apparently, in 1950, the average size house was 950 square feet. Today, it's about 2,400. The personal storage industry is a $78 billion industry and growing every year. We know stuff. And today's story has one of the most difficult sayings of Jesus directed at people who know and love stuff. He says, It is difficult for those who have stuff to enter the kingdom of God. This is a hard saying. I want us to see today, this is our six out of seven weeks on the way of Jesus, that the way of Jesus is a way of simplicity. That's the word for today, and I'm going to explain where that comes from, but before we get there, I need to make a personal confession. As told you last week when we talked about community, that it's a topic that I'm passionate about, that I feel like I believe in, that I've spent my entire adult life trying to live into. And as competent as I felt last week to talk about that topic, I feel just as incompetent to talk about this topic. Of all the problems we've talked about, the ways of the world that we need to confront if we're going to walk in the way of Jesus, the problem of distraction and the problem of self-reliance and the problem of commitment phobia and the problem of lack of self-aware and all these problems. This week's problem, the problem of stuff, is one that I struggle with. I think a lot of us do. This week's sermon has been one of the hardest for me to prepare for and I think now about the hardest to deliver to you. So I want you to know that. I believe deeply in what Jesus is saying here, but I'm not sure I'm qualified to tell you what I'm about to tell you. So I want you to hear that what I'm about to say is directed at me. I've been incredibly offended by quite a few things that I've read this week in books talking about this passage and about simplicity. So I pre-apologize if you are offended by what I'm about to say. Know that it comes out of my own feeling of offense. So we need this teaching desperately, and I want us to see why Jesus says this and how it applies to us. Okay, so simple outline this week. So I want us to see from the very first section here how to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus tells his disciples that. And then he talks about a giant obstacle to entering the kingdom of God. And then we see how we can follow Jesus into the kingdom of God. So let's start in this first section about how to enter the kingdom of God. It says that People were bringing children 
to Jesus so that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. And you're like, a bunch of jerks. Everybody loves a good baby, right? The, the word here for children is not like four, five, six-year-old. It's infant or toddler. We're bringing little, tiny toddlers and babies. I have like 64 of them in my house. <laughs> and they're being brought to Jesus. And we think that babies and toddlers are cute and innocent and that they have this sort of virtuousness to them. In, in our society, children in general are a protected class, right? People don't hate anyone more than the person who hurts or abuses a child, right? We, we think this way. That's not how it was in their society. In, in this era, children were a neglected class. Children were overlooked. They were disenfranchised. They were, with the infant mortality rate the way that it was, you almost couldn't afford to get too connected to your infant. Right? Infants and babies were, were kind of seen as a drain on society. They lacked status. They lacked security. They lacked stuff. Children were looked down upon. I was just trying to figure out a way that I could think about this, and it's always like, like if you're a, a senior in high school, it's the way you look down on a ninth grader. Right? You're just like, those ninth graders. This is how the disciples are looking at the children. It's not like, oh, a cute baby. It's like, oh, get these annoying useless babies out of here. They're, 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 not, they're in the way. And then Jesus responds with this amazing, very common, but I think misunderstood statement. And Jesus says, let them come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, it's easy if we think that babies are innocent and pure to think that what Jesus is commending here is some kind of innocence or purity of virtue. That's not what Jesus is commending and talking about. He's talking about the way that they looked at children. Children were lacking, right? They're lacking in status and security and stuff, and that is what Jesus is commending. He says, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to view yourself as lacking in status, security, and stuff, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, if you want to have what I'm bringing to you, you have to see yourself as lacking in security and safety and, and stuff the same way that these children are. The children are not being commended for their virtue. They're being commended for their lack, which is maybe not what you think when you first read this in our context. So this is what Jesus says. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to consider yourself as lacking status security stuff just like these children. And one of the commentators that I read this week said, it's a beautiful little sentence, little children are paradigmatic, they're, good, they're a good picture of disciples, for only empty hands can be filled. Only empty hands can be filled, right? This is the gospel we believe in. When we come to God, we don't come bringing him the things that we have to offer as if he's going to reward us for them. We come with empty hands saying, we need you. We need you to give us everything. And yet, this is a shocking statement, right? Like, there's no worldly system that works like this. Like, you just show up to your job, and you tell your boss, like, I have nothing for you. And your boss is like, you're fired, right? Like, no worldly system works like that. You have a politician that stands up on the stage and is like, hey, folks, I'm not going to do anything for you. I have nothing to offer they're like, okay, on to the next candidate. Like, there's no worldly system that works this way. But this is the gospel. The gospel is when you have nothing to offer, you come with your hands extended and God gives willingly, freely, graciously. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. So if we're going to live 
like this, what does it look like to live in a kingdom where empty hands need to be filled? A kingdom, a way of life with no hierarchy, with no elitism. A way of life that's full of gratitude, right? There's no compulsive need. I was thinking about Jack, my son, is almost nine months. He's like the perfect child to fit into this category. He's nine months. He's just old enough to like wreak havoc on things. He started crawling. He has no compulsive need for food. Like when he needs food, he opens his mouth and he gets food. He doesn't like, he doesn't accumulate it for later. He just, when he's done, he just puts his hands like this and you can't feed him anymore. He's, when he's done, he's done. He just, when you feed him, he just has this gratitude. Like you put him in his tray and he just starts, he's just happy that he's about to get Food. He doesn't understand the world as a place of scarcity and competition. He just receives what we give him because he has no other choice, right? He's not going to bed at night losing sleep. He is losing sleep, and so are we, but he's not doing that because of fears about the economy. He's not wondering what's going to happen or what the Fed's going to do or how the interest rates are going to change. Or He doesn't care about that. He doesn't know. He lives in blissful ignorance of that. He resists accumulation. He doesn't resist it. He doesn't do it. Right? If we were to live this way, we would resist accumulation. We wouldn't accumulate toilet paper. Right? We wouldn't just pile up piles of money and accumulate it just for the fun of it because that's not the way that it works in a kingdom where you are commended for your lack. There will be joy in this. There's no stress. There's no hurry. There's no urgency. It's just receiving what God gives. This is how we enter the kingdom of God. This is the invitation God gives to people who want to come and be part of his kingdom. He's come with open hands and let me fill them with joy. Is that your posture in daily life? Posture of open-handed gratitude. Just no fear. No worry. I struggle with this posture. <laughs> I don't know if you do. I struggle to maintain, to wake up in the morning and not read the news and freak out or not worry about my account balances or whatever else. And Jesus addresses why we struggle with this in the next section. It's almost as if like on cue, and it's, Mark is certainly writing the story to help us walk through this. So he tells us this little story about children. You could see that as detached, but then he says... Jesus gets up and he starts on his journey and all of a sudden out of nowhere comes this man. It's like on cue. This man comes up to him. He's a rich man and Jesus have this conversation. We don't know who he is. He's just identified as a, later on as a rich man. But this man comes up and he asks the exact question that Jesus just answered. Jesus says, here's how you get in the kingdom of God, right? You act, you consider yourself like a child without security, without status, without stuff. And the man comes up and he says in a different form, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus again refuses to answer his question, but says, you know what the commandments are. You know the commandments are X, Y, and Z. These are the 10 commandments. And the man says, here, Jesus, I have done all that. Will you honor my work? And Jesus says, well, um, there's one thing that you lack. No, no, you're not going to find this in any evangelism manual, right? How do I enter the kingdom of God? We're, we're not taught to say what Jesus says. In fact, we're taught to tell it, say exactly the opposite of what Jesus says. But the man says, how do I, how do I receive it, eternal life? How do I enter the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus says, you have, we lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. 
Jesus has identified in this man a spirit of earning. The man has a posture that's exactly the opposite of the child's posture. The child's posture is one of open hands. This man, his hands are full, and he thinks somehow that that is going to gain him something. Now, there's, we could spend another like three hours just on that little story, but I want you to see now what Jesus turns to his disciples, right? We're focusing on how Jesus is instructing his disciples in this. So he turns to his disciples, and he, he looks around, it says, and a few of the commentators indicated that the way that the sentence is constructed indicates that Jesus was kind of like watching to see what the disciples were going to do with this situation, right? He says to the man, you have to sell all you have and follow me. And the man's like, nope, and he walks away. And Jesus is like, all right, what are my disciples going to do about this? So he, he has this teaching moment. And he looks over at his disciples, and he says to them, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at this. Because the disciples assumed that if you had wealth, you had blessing from God. They assumed the wealthy were the people who were getting from God what they, what they wanted, Right? The wealthy in, were, were people who God was blessing. And so they're amazed. They're like, what? The rich person? And he says it again. And this time he uses this like, comical illustration to try and really bring, bring the point home. He says, children. Very interesting that he uses that word anyway. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Right? It's like snowball's chance in hell for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He's using an idiom to say it's really, really, really hard for this to happen. And this time, then, the text says that they were exceedingly astonished. (laughs) They went from amazed to exceedingly astonished. Mike and I were talking about this this week, and he gave me this example, this way to illustrate this. It's too good, Mike, to not use. This... I've watched the show Parks and Rec. There's a character in Parks and Rec named Ron Swanson who really, really, really loves bacon. And he goes into this diner, and he sits down at the table, and the waitress comes up, and he says to the, he says to the waitress, he says, um, bring me all the eggs and bacon that you have. And she starts to turn away, and he goes, wait, 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 wait. I'm afraid that what you heard me say was, bring me a lot of eggs and bacon. What I actually said was, bring me all the bacon and eggs that you have. He's like, he doesn't want him to miss it. Bring every last bacon and egg that you have in this place to me. This is what Jesus is doing. He's like, hey, um, it's really hard for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. And they're like, what? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm afraid you misunderstood. I'm afraid you heard that it was kind of hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to know that it's really, really, really hard for people with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And they are astonished. It's Important to note here that Jesus doesn't issue a command towards them. This is not a command. This is a statement of fact. It is hard for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That's a hard fact. I don't know about you. I've, I've wanted to figure out a way to explain that away to you all week. And I can't do it. It is Difficult for those who have stuff, wealth, affluence, to enter the kingdom of God. Two important points real quick. First, who are the rich? It's easy for us to sit here and be like, oh, he's talking about Jeff Bezos, right? He's talking about my boss. He's talking about 
recently signed Cam Newton. He's talking about somebody else in this room. No, no, no. <laughs> As of 2012, if you made $35,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of all richness in the entire world. It's not a very high bar. Right? He's literally, I just want you to hear this straight up. He's talking to middle-class Americans. That's who he's talking to when he says the rich. He's basically, I want you to hear it with that bluntness. It is very difficult for middle-class Americans to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Right? Like for most of human history, people lived a subsistence lifestyle, like a minimal level of existence. That means they had food, shelter, and clothing. Like that's the best they could do. And most of the world still lives that way. Like who of us are fretting for our food, shelter, or clothing walking out the door tonight? I mean, I know most of you, and although not all of us feel rich, according to the world's standards, according to horizontal standards of wealth, we all fit into this category. So I'm saying all this just to make sure that you don't, like, categorize yourself out and not have to listen to the rest of the sermon. We're all the rich. Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to people who have stuff and affluence. Why does Jesus say this? Why is it hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? Maybe you drawing, connecting the dots can see where this is going. Jesus just told us how to enter the kingdom of God, right? We have to be like children. We have to consider ourselves as having no status, no security, and no stuff in order to enter the kingdom of God. You know what wealth is all about? It's about having status and security and stuff. And Jesus is saying, look, it's really, really hard for people who have status, security, and stuff to consider themselves as not having status, security, and stuff. That's really hard to do. That's what he's saying. It's very hard for people who have affluence to consider themselves as having nothing to offer to God. It's very hard for those who have wealth to consider themselves to be children. That's true. And Jesus said, <laughs> it is actually true. It's actually true. I don't know if you've considered that. This is the way that wealth works. And this is consistent with all of Jesus' teaching. He constantly talks about money and wealth and stuff, and he constantly just makes statements of fact. He's like, it is impossible to serve both God and money. He doesn't say you shouldn't serve both God and money. He says it is impossible to serve both God and money. He says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He doesn't say life shouldn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It is more blessed to give than to receive. These are all more of Jesus' teachings on money. And here's what I've concluded just praying and reading this this week is that wealth, affluence, stuff, absolutely not wrong, but it is dangerous. Wealth is dangerous for our souls. It's like hiking out near a cliff, right? Nothing wrong with hiking near a cliff. The higher up you go, the more dangerous the cliff gets. Or having fire, maybe it's better to think about, you have fire in your house, fire, necessary, it's good, it's important, you have a little fire, your fire is safely kept inside of your furnace, upstairs in your attic somewhere, hopefully safe, no gas leaks, but if your fire gets out of control, it'll burn your house down. That's wealth. I think what Jesus is saying is that affluence makes it objectively more difficult to put our faith in Jesus alone. 
and think that's what he's saying. That your stuff, the stuff you own, your, your house, your car, the ads that you watch, the vacations you take, the things you buy, the, put, the things you put in your house, that they are not neutral for your soul's ability to follow Jesus. Just an ancient church father said, wealth is like a serpent which will twist around the hand and bite. Right? The more you have, the more you need. It's, it's weird. This is what we started with. The more you have, the more you need. I have a leaf blower, now I need 20 other things. The more you have, the more you need. The more you need, the more you want. The more you want, the more you worship. The more you worship, the more you become attached until you are a slave to money and wealth. A slave to the status and security and stuff that it seems to bring to us. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is especially important for us in 21st century America to hear. We live in a consumption-oriented materialistic culture. Like Riches are the great good of our society, whether we want to admit it or not. Like think about our hero stories, our rags-to-riches stories. Like this is, this is what our society runs on. Everything in your daily existence is telling you that wealth will bring you status. You have a better house, a nicer house, a nicer car, a nicer... Status and stuff brings you... Or stuff and wealth brings you status. It also brings you security. You can buy security. You can buy a bigger nest egg for retirement. You can buy a better security system. You can buy more airbags in your... Whatever it is, you can buy yourself into security. You can buy yourself stuff that will bring you happiness. Like, this is what the world is promising Our country, our culture serves money, so we're slaves to money. Richard Foster says says it like this. He says, we must really understand that our lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. (laughs) It's psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We were made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars that are worn out. The Bible challenges nearly every economic value of contemporary society. We cannot serve both God and money. And I think many of us are just one step away from being the rich man. Not because wealth is wrong, but because our hearts are entranced with it, with the status and security and stuff that it seems to bring. And the reality is that you and I, we cannot follow God we cannot enter the kingdom of God and simultaneously live uncritically in our culture. We cannot do it. If you live uncritically in our culture, you will not be on the way of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Our culture loves money, worships it, follows it. If you're on that path, you're not also following Jesus. We, we're like, oftentimes we're like a bunch of addicts and we like are just willing to kind of You buy something, and I want to buy something, so I affirm you buying it. Because then later, I don't have to feel bad about it. We we do this. We we co-affirm each other in this. We need to to open our eyes and look at the way of Jesus, where Jesus says multiple times, with the most emphasis he can muster, it is difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so the disciples enter, or they, they respond the same way that I want to respond now. It's like, well, then, then who can be saved? Like, if that's true, then who, who of us, who among us can be saved if we have to swear off our allegiance and our love of wealth? And the disciples are despairing. Like, no one can be saved. And Jesus is like, 
Now you're beginning to get it. Now you get it. Only God can save people. And it's nothing that you bring, nothing that you do. And Peter continues to get it wrong because he's like, hey, we left everything for you. Now he's using his own poverty as like a way of like trying to get Jesus to love him. We don't have time to look at that part of it. But Peter now, the disciples begin to see this posture. They begin to at least have the awareness that they bring nothing, this posture of a child, an inward reality that entering the kingdom of God means that it has nothing to do with our security and our status and our stuff and our wealth. It has nothing to do with our entrance into the kingdom of God. Instead, we have to have this posture of open-handedness, of love of the kingdom of God. And there's an ancient name for the posture and practice of this posture, the, the posture and the practice of simplicity. That's what the church has called this posture. The way of Jesus is the way of simplicity. Actually, I stumbled on later, later in the week that Eugene Peterson, and when he translates the little section about children, he translates it as, you'll, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in, which I love that. The practice of simplicity. Richard Foster says that simplicity is an inward posture that also can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing what matters most. And what our wealth does to us is it constantly convinces us to choose things that don't actually matter. And I've seen that in myself constantly. It's called impulse buying. Just one aspect of it, right? We buy things we don't need. We buy things we don't want. We buy things that we would say later on are not important, and yet we spend our energy on them. And the reality that the church has taught us and that Jesus is teaching here is that your inward posture of faith has to be matched by your outward posture of life. That if we have a posture of simplicity before God, that it will be matched by our outward practice, the practice of simplicity. Now, maybe that word trips you up, so a couple things that simplicity does not mean. It does not mean just being thrifty. Okay, often thrifty people actually love money more than spendy people. Right? They're, they're being thrifty in order to get more security. Right? We, you know that. You do that. The times that you don't buy something because you actually love something else more. Right? It's, so thriftiness is not what simplicity is. It's also not secular minimalism. Right? You know minimalism, like tiny houses and things and don't have anything in your house and live with nothing. Like, that's not what this is. And maybe Jesus tells the man, sell all that you have. So maybe the practice of it for you would look like secular minimalism, but it's not the same motivation. It's also not just organizing your house or your stuff or your closet. Marie Kondo it, right? Like, it's not just living an organized life, although that's not a bad thing, and it, that could be very much part of this practice, but it's for a very different motivation, being simple, living a simple life is not valuable in and of itself. The point of Christian simplicity is to orient your outward life in line with your inward value on the kingdom of God. To allow the kingdom of God to drive your, the things that you do, the way that you buy, the way that you interact with stuff. Right? Very, very big thing here is that Christian simplicity is not poverty. Okay, the, we hear this text and we think, well, maybe what Jesus is saying, just like he said to that man, is to go and get impoverished, just to sell everything I have and just live in abject poverty and that will make God more happy with me. Jesus never con condemns stuff. He doesn't never demands poverty. Right? Poverty and materialism are two ends of the same uh, spectrum. 
Both people in poverty and people who are materialistic, many of us are leaning this way on the pendulum. We have more stuff. We love our stuff. We don't really want to give up our stuff. We're more materialistic. But over here, people in poverty, if you read literature on this, people in poverty love money just as much as people who are affluent. They just don't have it. They think by getting it, they want to get it. This is, these are two ends of the same street. Nate came up with this illustration. This is, this is a street, poverty and materialism. It's, like a, it's a two-way street, and Jesus is saying, you don't go from one end of the street to the other. You turn off the street to a third way, which is simplicity, which is orienting your life, both inwardly and outwardly, around the values of God's kingdom rather than around our own kingdom. I'm going to just final minutes here to, to give you some examples of how I'm going to follow John Mark Comer in his book that I recommended, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He has a chapter on simplicity that was really helpful to me. And he defines the practice of simplicity as living with a high degree of intentionality around what matters most, ultimately Jesus and his kingdom. So what we're, be, what we're invited into here with this practice is to organize our entire life especially our relationship to stuff around God's kingdom rather than around our own selves. That we put money and wealth and stuff in its proper place. So here's a few things to consider. These are invitations to what practicing simplicity might look like in your life. These are not laws. These are just ideas. These are practices and habits that are oriented around spiritual formation. Hopefully, as I've been talking, you you believe what I'm saying, that your interaction with stuff matters for your spiritual formation. It matters for your following of Jesus. So here's some ideas. Ask yourself big questions like, how can I organize my external life to reflect and shape my internal posture to be childlike? Does the way you use and buy and interact with stuff help you to be more like a child or not? It's a big question. When you get down into specifics, like when you go to buy something, right? do you stop to pray before you buy stuff? Do you consider the true cost? When I buy my leaf blower, do I consider the true cost of that? It's much higher than the whatever I paid for it. True cost. If you consider true cost, we see how it affects other areas of our life. Do I ask, do I need this? <laughs> Simplest question. Do we ask, do I need this? I think I don't ask that question enough. Do I need this? I just go, I want this, and so I buy it. Right? How about just make it a law, not a law, make it a, a practice in your life to just never impulse buy anything. Say, so anytime you want to buy something, just give yourself a 48-hour window. Consider buying fewer and better things. We're so obsessed with more and much. What about in the area of giving? Can you just, when you just go home and consider what would it be like if I could live with less? We have more than most people in the world. What would it look like to live with less, to deaccumulate, to get rid of stuff that we don't need? Because that stuff that's sitting in your closet is not neutral for your soul. Unless you're living with intentionality with respect to it, there's danger there lurking in your closet. Giving stuff away, not just our junk. Like, we're really good at giving away our junk, taking our junk to goodwill and just dumping it off. What if we identified things that we know have a hold on our hearts and we gave those things away? If you came and asked me to give my road bike away, I'd fight you. It's a good indication of what I love. What about sharing? We, We love to own stuff. 
What if when I found out that Nate had a log splitter that I just committed to not buy a log splitter? What if when I bought a, something else for my house, a leaf blower, I told you guys, I have a leaf blower if you ever want to borrow it. It's ours. This is what, they, this is what the early church did. There's a communal stuff. But no, we're, we love our own stuff. We're like, oh, Caroline has one of these. I really need to get one too. Why? What benefit is there in that for the kingdom of God? Right? Do, do you see that? Private property is really good politics. It's really bad religion. Budgeting. This is silly. Like living without a budget will lead you almost inevitably to buy things that you don't need, want, or care about. Like budgeting is a plan to spend based on your values. That's exactly what we're being invited to here. St. Francis said, suggested living a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. What would that look like in your life to revolt against the spirit of materialism. One that we don't have time to go into is just the simple idea that we don't know where our stuff comes from. And much of our stuff comes from places where if we knew where it came from, we would be appalled in realizing that how it gets to us is absolutely antithetical to the kingdom of God. There's whole aspects here, specifically with related to clothing, but there's lots of other aspects here. Right? I, I don't want to say this too strongly, but like in America, we had slavery when we came here. And many slaves picked cotton to make clothes. And now we, we like to pat ourselves on the back for getting rid of slavery while we buy clothes made by slaves in other countries. It's, I mean, this is, not the, this is the kind of thing. Are we going to live according to the values of the kingdom of God for everyone? And the kingdom of God is to not oppress other people. These are the kind of things that we, when we live in a wealthy society without reflection, we're going to be living in lives that run counter to the kingdom of God. There's more, but I've already gone long. Um, and another one that's just important to me personally is that I've found helpful, that I could pass it on to you, is to cultivate your delight in creation and simple things. Like our kind of general cultural obsession with television and spectacle, amusement parks, like those kind of, like we love, we just want bigger and better, right? You know the amusement park wars to have the highest roller coaster. That's spectacle. We want to, we want to be amazed by what money can do for us, what it can provide, what human achievement can do. That's, what if we just oriented our lives around basic, simple pleasures and God's creation? There's many more. I want to just invite you into this conversation about practicing the way of simplicity. So who then can be saved? He says, with God, all things are possible. So friends, we are rich. Let us throw ourselves on God. Tonight, as we walk out into the world, let us throw ourselves on God. Let's reject the allure of wealth. Understand that it's dangerous. May we become a church full of children, people who understand and have a posture of open-handedness. Only empty hands can be filled. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for us collectively. I pray for us as individuals, all of us who um, live in a world that is full of and obsessed with stuff, money, wealth. 
break our idolatry of it. Let us see the ways that it, like a snake has wrapped itself around our hands and is drawing us in to not have a posture before you of receiving the good that you want to bring for us. As you promised at the end of this passage, that you will restore all things to those who have lost them. God, let us see and orient our lives around your kingdom and not around our own kingdoms. We pray that you would do it in us for our joy, for your glory, for the good of the world, for the good of others. We pray now in line with that that we would, uh, with gratitude in our hearts and that we would bring and give now this week our offerings to you, that we would come together as a community to support and love one another through financial giving. We pray that you'd bless it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.